Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the off the wall and outrageous and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the program on this lockdown Monday morning. It's good to be with you on the show. Uh, we are once again not quite in studio, um, as you would have heard, uh, but I think that the station is slowly getting uh, used to all of these different aspects. So uh, it's great that uh, we're able to do it, and I can be live from my study and uh, having got here just in time, having dodged all the hectic traffic between the dog and the cat. Uh, on the way here, I even went through the, the breakfast via kitchen and had one of those fast food bits. So, uh, yeah, that is what's going on uh, from the studio side. From the show side, we've got a great show lined up for you today. I'm very excited uh, to be bringing it to you. Uh, later on today, in uh, something that tonight you might appreciate, we're having a Not All Heroes Wear Masks um, section. Uh, that is to say, we're going to be checking on the women who are manning the supply lines talking today to uh, um, mobile kosher uh, kosher mobile meals excuse me uh, and uh, they are uh, performing a very important service at the moment uh, looking after the elderly in our community going out there and feeding people uh, who do not have access to food so we're going to find out all about that program with Cindy Cree uh, she is from the Union of Jewish Women who uh, puts that whole program together so that should be a fascinating discussion of course, uh, the the discussion on everyone's lips at the moment is COVID-related, and we are going to carry on with that a little bit uh, just after the break. We're going to be talking to Catherine Child. She is a reporter for uh, Business Day and the Financial Mail and has a long and uh, strong history in health reporting, amongst others. So we're just going to be checking in with her, seeing... Uh, what uh, she can tell us about where things are going at the moment, how are we doing, what should we be looking out for. So uh, that is what's going to be in the discussion. If you have any questions or comments, we'd be very happy to hear them. Please do uh, let us know your thoughts. You can SMS us on 34519 or you can telegram us on 0618951019 or send us a tweet. Tweets still work at FM. We'd be very happy to take them. But first, we're going to go for a short break, and when we come back, we'll be speaking to Catherine Child. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. Back with 101.9 High FM. I am indeed Benji Shulman on this Monday morning, and uh, we are uh, direct and live with Catherine Child from Business Day and the Financial Mail. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Good morning. Uh, so I want to take a step back a little bit. Uh, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed with COVID-related uh, information, and uh, we're going to be in this for a little bit longer. So I thought let's uh, start with just just let's give people a sense again about what is it they were dealing with because sometimes I get the sense that people still think that this is just a flu or, or something. So, so take us through what what actually are we dealing with? What is this virus um, at the moment? Well, obviously I'm not a doctor, but we know that the coronavirus has come from animals. It's not the only coronavirus we have, and. It is worse than the flu. I think initially when it started, people were saying, well, you know, the flu is more of a risk. But now that it's spread throughout the world, this is risky. 
It has a higher fatality rate. Um, flu has about a 0.1% fatality rate. The COVID fatality rate is 0.6 in Korea. It's about 10% of the Italians that they've tested. So we know it has a higher fatality rate. It also appears to be more infectious. And it results in a lot more people than flu requiring hospitalization and often ventilation. So it's much more serious, and it and we don't have immunity to it. People develop some kind of immunity to flu, although flu changes rapidly, and we often re-get it. There is a flu vaccine that helps. I mean, with COVID-19, there is no vaccine, there is no immunity, and it is more infectious. Okay, so that that is the that's the basic one, and and I think the point that you were making earlier about the ventilators is actually key here. That's that's the real risk here where we see the, the, the health system being overwhelmed. That's different from some of the other diseases that we, we only have so much, um, capacity to, to manage this, uh, on ventilators and, and, and because of the speed, it, it threatens to overwhelm that system. I think that is the great fear. And I mean, I, a few weeks ago, I spoke to Professor Guy Richards, who runs an intensive care unit. He works at Mill Park, um, but he also works at Charlotte Montego Hospital. And he said, no country in the world will cope. He said, of course, South Africa won't cope with the demand for ICU beds, but no, no, we're not different. And I think that is a huge concern that suddenly, as they've had in Italy, to decide, well, we're not going to take all the people. We just don't have enough beds. We need to save those who can. And this impacts other people who may be in ICU for another illness after a car accident or for whatever reason. There is a global shortage of ventilators, but even if South Africa gets more equipment somehow, it's not, Professor Richard said to me, it's not just a machine. This is not a hairdryer. You switch on and you, it just works. It requires very technical skills to run. So it's also a shortage of doctors who can use ventilators with very ill patients. It's apparently very complicated. Okay, so that's uh, interesting to know. Uh, the, some of the, the, the countries that seem to have been ha- able to handle this uh, epidemic perhaps better than others have been in the East, uh, perhaps partly because they've dealt with things like this, like SARS uh, and whatever in the past. But you've also lived uh, uh, in the East. Do you think that there's like a cultural element to to, to it that's helping those countries uh, deal with this? Absolutely. I mean, I think SARS really scared people. So I moved to Taiwan, which has had a credible response. They don't trust China and they've done really well on their own. But I was there at the end of 2003, in December, and that was at the end of SARS. And the obsession with handwashing was really, really intense. Every time we went to a bank, a mall, and the outbreak was over, but they would take our temperatures. It was law. I went to a church service that was a gathering of more than so 50 or so people. Temperatures had to be taken and recorded. Um, for years at school, I taught children when – the kindergarten children's temperatures were taken twice a day. So there is a culture of taking temperature. There's a culture of, I mean, we indoctrinated those children about washing hands. Um, and people who are sick, even with a common cold or they're just feeling under the weather, they wear masks. It's completely normal to wear masks if you're ill or if you're exposed to someone in your house that's ill with a cold. And so people are wearing masks, which they now think is actually a good thing, um, prevents spreading the disease as much. And so culturally, they're definitely more prepared and they're more compliant. I mean, imagine trying to lock down Johannesburg, someone said to me a few weeks ago, and it's very difficult to lock down a crowded township without running water. Certainly Asian countries are more developed and, and the 
people are just more compliant. They're tracked with their phones often by government. It's authoritarian. So they stay home because they have to, and they have better resources than much of Africa. Yeah, I must say, I, I thought that that was very interesting, the, uh, that aspect about the, the authoritarianness. I saw something about uh, they, they phoned someone who was ill and, and the person didn't pick up. And within 10 minutes, there was a policeman who was at the door checking up on them to see if they had left their phone. Uh, now, you know, I think we, we, with all due respect to the South African police services, I'm not sure that, that we would have the capacity to do something like that. No, I mean, it's totally different. I still remember, um, I'm quite a law school and I lost my wallet. Which was a problem in Taiwan because it had my, what was called my alien residence certificate, like a little ID card. And I don't even know if I realized I'd lost it yet when it was delivered by police to my door at, at my apartment. I had to sign for it. They were very worried, like had money been taken, which it hadn't. Um, you've got a police service that literally delivers a lost wallet with a very important identity card to your door. I don't know how they figured out where I lived, but I was obviously on the system. Um, we don't have that system here, and, and certainly the police have shown a lot of violence, brutality, and random rabbit shooting of bullets over the weekend. So I'm not sure either that they are about to just pop in at your house to see why you didn't answer your phone. They seem more intent on shooting at shoppers, queuing in Kailicha, and abusing poor people. It is a very different system, and, and unfortunately I think our police are somewhat more violent? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that uh, is is a, a big problem and something which uh, I do uh, want to discuss uh, a, a little bit further uh, with you. But uh, just for the moment, I do want to let you know that if you live alone, uh, and especially within the next 21 days, then you should know about the High FM helpline check-in service. Uh, our counselors will call you on a regular basis. And to check in and make sure that you're okay. And it's available to anyone of any age who feels the need for it. So make contact with us. Uh, you can call us on 0800-242436. That's 0800-242436. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. We're talking today to Catherine Child. She is a reporter for the Business Day and the Financial Mail. Just uh, taking the temperature, so to speak, of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak in South Africa. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with Catherine just after that. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9. Hi, I'm talking today to Catherine Child. Uh, she is from Business Day and Financial Mail. Uh, Catherine, let's talk a little bit about the the sort of epidemiology of where this thing is going. You know, we have uh, had a few deaths now from COVID, and uh, um, I, I think we're over a thousand now in terms of uh, in terms of infection rate. Uh, where do you see where do you see this is this going? sort of compared to some of the other countries who've maybe been dealing with this uh, a little bit ahead of the curve? I think we don't know. I mean, I'm not a statistician. I hate stats at Varsity. But I think the big thing with South Africa is we're not doing enough tests, so we don't really know exactly where we are in the epidemic. There are about almost 1,300 official tested cases. But without knowing really the extent of the disease, it's very hard then for an epidemiologist to model it. So if they say it's going to double every six days, we'll double from what exactly? The other thing I think we don't know yet is a lot of the, the tests have come from kind of the more middle-class community. They've been done by private labs. 
There's probably not enough testing of people in informal settlements and townships. Many who've spread out because of the lockdown to rural areas. I mean, if you lived in a crowded shack and you could go home to the Eastern Cape with more space, what would you do? So people did travel before lockdown. And I think we just don't know how many of those people in communities where there are cases in Kailicha or Wentworth in Durban where there have been cases. We don't know how many of those people have traveled, how many are infected, and maybe taking the disease back to other areas. So it's really hard to say. Um, but globally, I mean, they think up to 60% of countries' populations will get the disease. So it, it's really just a matter of time. We're going to have a lot of people get it. Of that, a percentage get very sick. Of that, some people... You seem to have lost Catherine there for the moment, uh, but uh, I'm sure that uh, they'll work to get her back on the line. Uh, just taking us through some of uh, the, the issues that are associated uh, with, uh, with the transmission of the disease. And I think Catherine making a very good point there, uh, just before she was cut off, is that we're not entirely sure yet where everybody is because, you know, during the lockdown there were a lot of people um, who, who had to go or did go to the rural areas. And that sort of uh, helps us um, – or doesn't help us, actually. It, it might very well help spread uh, the disease. So that is uh, definitely something of a, of a concern. Uh, I also want to uh, maybe ask Catherine when we when we bring her back just about the the police response because if this lockdown is going to hold, we're really going to need to see the police doing a little bit more of a gentle job on the populace. Not going to do anything for morale to have people, um, um, you know, like corralled up at home and uh, and and suddenly they're seeing pictures on the um, on the internet of people being. Uh, beaten up and uh, people coming into their homes and all of this kind of thing. Uh, I think that um, that is definitely uh, something that we're going to have to sort out if if this lockdown is going to hold because these are the people who are going to help uh, keep people off the streets or at least uh, away from the social distancing and and trying to you know just trying to keep law and order as best we can. Uh, her, her view of uh, the Asian country is very interesting. You know, places like South Korea, for example, where they fought this thing very effectively, uh, are, are basically were authoritarian for many years. Uh, so that is, uh, you know, not something. We're a democracy. We're going to have to fight this thing democratically. Uh, I see we do have Catherine back. Uh, Catherine, sorry about that. Uh, thank you for joining us again. I can hear you. Sorry, I've just got 5G at home, and it's clearly not working as well as it should. Can you hear well, me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Maybe it's spreading, spreading COVID. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, Catherine, uh, you were just talking about um, um, uh, the epidemiology of this thing. I mean, the, the, what you're saying is correct around that everyone will eventually get it, but that's not necessarily the concern. The concern is to just keep the health system running whilst people get it. Is that correct? So a lot of the modeling, and there's different studies, um, are, are looking at, how can we delay this? It doesn't stop. Some some modeling shows it will reduce infections. Others show, no, it won't, but it will slow things down. And that allows the government to buy time to get more ventilators in place or train more doctors to use them. I mean, these are highly specialized doctors, but it's not easy. It allows them to do what Taiwan and Korea did, is increase testing significantly, or in South Africa, to find quarantine facilities for people who live in shacks who can't self-isolate if they're ill or if they live in a house with 10 other people. 
So it is about buying time and getting systems in place to try and quarantine infected people and to vastly improve our testing. Okay, so that's going to be the the fight for the next uh, couple of weeks and months. Uh, you also cover the economy, uh, obviously for the people that you that you write for and work for. Uh, what kind of effect are we seeing there in terms of uh, the, the epidemic? I mean, we saw EdCon, uh, which was already pretty much on its last legs, taking a huge hit. Are, are you seeing the economic effects already in some of the work that you're doing? I mean, I think it's there. Um, I, spoke, I spoke to a union representative on Friday about EdCon, and he said, yes, EdCon isn't paying its suppliers. It's a very weakened company. Now it's lost sales. It's really stuck. But he's expecting and knows of other retailers who are also not going to pay their suppliers. I mean, they can't buy more clothing even if the order's in if no one's shopping. So we're going to see this affect all sorts of industry. I mean, it goes without saying people's Airbnbs aren't running, conferences aren't running, Uber drivers aren't busy, no one's ordering flowers for their wife or their friend, no one's buying party supplies. So, I mean, our economy, it's 12% of the sort of annual economy that's just not happening while we sit at home. I mean, how much money did you spend this weekend compared to, say, how much you'd normally spend on a Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a real challenge to, to just keep things ticking over until we can come out uh, of the lockdown. And then do you, I'm assuming that you after the lockdown that it's not just going to be back to normal. There's going to have to be some sort of restrictions after that as well. Well, I mean, I think... We're being somewhat optimistic if we think it's only going to be three weeks. I think government may easily extend it for four. There was talk of that when they first announced it. So there's quite a few public holidays when the lockdown ends. So it's a very easy thing to stretch it. A lot of the scientific modeling shows that when a lockdown ends, it starts to spread again because people have gone home. They maybe have contracted it from someone else who lives in their house. They've passed it on to someone else in their house. Now the lockdown ends and they go back to work. So... I do think there's going to probably be restrictions for a while. And even if there aren't, I mean, people haven't earned money for a month. They're not about to go to Edgar's and buy a fashion or plan a holiday on a cruise ship. To that end, though, the South African Reserve Bank has changed requirements, and it's a bit technical, but they have made it easier for banks to lend, and um, banks need less money to lend. So they are relaxing laws in the background, if I can oversimplify, that allow banks to extend finance, to give you a payment holiday on your credit card, to negotiate with a business who can't pay back the loan. So there are systems in place in the background to really try, make it easier for the banks to give small businesses and small households a bit of relief. Yeah, absolutely. Now, just coming back to the police element of this, over the weekend we have seen some troubling images uh, flowing around on social media uh, of, of, as you say, police violence, army violence. Uh, what are the authorities going to have to do here? Because there's no way that this thing is going to last for a few weeks if we keep seeing that kind of stuff, um, you know, on, on, on people's screens. I mean, I think this is terrifying. We don't want another Marikana. And people, I mean, I can't imagine being crowded in a shack. It's hot. It's stuffy. There may be five other people and you don't have food to eat because none of you have work. Um, that is a recipe for people to perhaps loot stores or to, to loot bottle stores. I mean, I stocked up on a bit of wine before lockdown. Poorer people who are waiting for payday or, or social grants can't. And if they need a drink in a stressful time, 
and they're not legally allowed to go to the Shabin or, or buy it at a store, what could happen? And, and I think it is concerning that if people loot because they're hungry, they're frustrated, they want to drink, and the army and the police who've already been firing rubber bullets at people standing in line to shop for food legally. I think if you get a looting and illegal behavior and, and police, we're going to see some injuries. And I think it's really problematic. It's, again, the poor suffering. Richard Spur, the well-known class action lawyer, said one of his client's son is 20 years old, is mentally and intellectually impaired. So he's an adult, but he's not actually. He was arrested over the weekend for being with his brother, and his family doesn't know where he is. And he doesn't have an adult intellect. The question is, why? Why are police, you know, arresting people who clearly not breaking lockdown, but also don't have the right kind of intellect to maybe engage with them? I think the police and army are going to have to be brought under control. But when a journalist asked Minister Becky Taylor on the weekend, you know, we're seeing reports about excessive force. There's concern about the police going a bit overboard. He said, wait until you see more force. Not um, very comfortable. Typical kind of kind of response. Now, just back to what people can do. Obviously, the more people can help stop this thing spreading, uh, the, the better and the faster this whole thing goes away. Uh, so, so, what are what are the things that people are able to are able to do themselves uh, in in this lockdown situation? Well, I think we all know that. I mean, it's the one time as the meme going around saying you can save the world by lying on your couch and watching TV. I mean, staying at home, middle-class people have it much easier than those in shacks, not going to the shop too much, even though you're allowed to. I mean, like, be realistic. And, of course, I think ask who in your neighborhood or your friends, people older than 70, if you can shop for them and drop groceries at their gate. I mean, keeping older people away from the shops even once a week Supporting them, even if one doesn't come into contact when dropping off groceries, I think really makes a difference because the older you are, the more vulnerable you are. And if we can keep older people from the regular need to go to the store, I think that that is in itself very helpful. Well, there you go. Uh, some good good advice. Try to be kind to your elderly neighbours. That's actually what's going to get us through this. Uh, Catherine Child. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on 101.9 Chai FM. And uh, if if you're a Twitterer, uh, definitely check out Catherine. She is very vocal on Twitter and will keep you updated with all sorts of things uh, on, on the Twitterverse. So if you're a tweeter, uh, you should definitely look her up. But uh, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us and uh, hopefully we can chat again sometime. You're welcome. Have a good day. Lockdown. There we go. Catherine Child there. Uh, she is from the Business Day and uh, the Financial Mail. And, uh, yeah, she was just talking to us uh, about about all of the different issues that are facing us now and uh, what we can do to, uh, uh, to deal with it uh, just in general. Um, um, you know, and, and how we can how we can handle how we can handle it. Because uh, I think there is a long way to go. There were some disturbing uh, signs of things going on, and uh, and and just to to be aware about where we are into the first week uh, of um, uh, of of the lockdown, and uh, and uh, and yeah, just to, just to see where where it where it is.
So, uh, yeah, that is uh, where we're at with uh, with this.